I want to welcome you to chapter 13 of the book of Luke. This is day three of week three of our look through this awesome book. We've been talking together about barriers in our relationship with God. As Jesus is teaching on his way to Jerusalem, he's confronting a lot of people who are having a hard time getting to know him. And he honestly addresses those barriers in our relationship. He talks about the fear of change. He talks about those who demand miracles, those who are cleaner than others, they think, on the outside. Yesterday, we looked at the fear of others' opinions, at the barrier of greed. Today, as we get into chapter 13, we look at the barrier of comparison, especially spiritual comparison with others. Listen to verses 1 to 3. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Here's the barrier of spiritual and moral comparison. You look at other people in the world and you think, these people are worse than I am, so I must be okay. This is a favorite sport of mankind. It has been for centuries. It's a favorite sport of those who go to church. We do this in the news. They were doing it in that day. Some Galileans had been killed by Pilate, and he'd mixed their blood with the sacrifices that they were making. And their opinion was, oh, they must be worse sinners than we are because of look at what happened to them. They compared themselves with somebody else, said, oh, I'm a lot better than they are. I must be okay. We do the same thing today. We often do it through the scandal newspapers. We look at some Hollywood star and some goofy thing that they've done, and we say, oh, at least I'm better than her. I didn't get drunk and do that crazy thing. At least I'm better than him. I didn't leave her. I didn't reject that person. I didn't have that kind of a divorce. And in thinking ourselves better than others, through that kind of comparison, we think, maybe I'm okay with God. And the truth of the matter is, it is a great barrier to our relationship with God. Jesus' answer is, we're all worse. It's not, I'm worse than you, you're worse than me. Jesus says, we're all worse. We're all in need. And so he says, unless you repent, you're all going to perish. What does repent mean? It means turn around. It means turn your heart towards God. It means instead of depending on yourself, you're depending on him for forgiveness, for life, for direction. Unless you repent. This crowd wanted to talk about them, some Galileans in the news. Jesus wanted to talk about you. You need to repent. The barrier of comparison is solved by knowing that every one of us has the opportunity to to develop and to delight in our relationship with God through this single word, repentance. I turn back to him. Maybe you need to do that for the first time. Turn to him for forgiveness. Turn to him for life. Maybe you need to return to him. Turn back to him for forgiveness. Turn back to him for life. As we continue through this chapter, chapter 13, Jesus then heals another woman on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders, they continue to grow more and more angry. Through these chapters, as Jesus is teaching, you see interspersed these experiences with the religious leaders. And we see their anger intensifying through these chapters, even as Jesus is intensifying his teaching. We see that we're headed toward a crisis. That crisis is going to be the cross. That crisis is going to be them deciding Jesus needs to be put to death. These leaders wanted to limit God's work to a list of rules, in fact, to their list of rules. And then they could compare themselves and say they knew God better than anybody else. 
in total opposition to that way of thinking, their list of rules, Jesus talks about the kingdom. Verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree, and the birds of the air perch in its branches. As Jesus teaches about the kingdom, he's telling us that the kingdom of God is not God limiting himself to any list of rules, my rules, so I can feel better about myself. It's God reaching out to all that he loves through Jesus. And that will often challenge me to the core. He will reach out to people that I thought he shouldn't reach out to because I have a hard time with that person or I can't forgive that person or that whole group of people have done this. But God continues to reach out with the message of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. Because the kingdom, the kingdom is like this seed. It's very small at first, but it grows to be very big. Why? Because it's the truth. It's the transforming truth of all eternity, the kingdom of God. So you don't live for your little list of rules. You live for the kingdom of God. That's barrier six, comparison. And now there's barrier seven, the last that we're going to look at as we walk through this week. The seventh barrier that Jesus addresses, I call the wide gate. Although he doesn't talk about it particularly here, that's the barrier, the wide gate. Verses 22 to 24. Then Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. In other places in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paints the picture of many will try to enter through the wide gate and will be lost, but those who find the narrow door, those are the ones who will be found. Now, what's the wide gate? The wide gate is doing what everybody else is doing. The wide gate is fitting in with everybody around you. It's, it's wide because it's where everybody's going. And it's one of the greatest barriers to real life. Now, let me be real clear here. Jesus is not talking about marching to a different drummer in these verses. He's talking about entering through a narrow gate. Life is not found in following the crowd. That's the wide gate. But it's also not found in running away from the crowd. That's the different drummer. It's found, and we're going to see this even more strongly in the chapters to come, it's found in following Jesus. That's the narrow gate. You don't go the way of the world, the way everybody else is going, the way that's popular, the way that's accepted. You go the way that Jesus is going. Now, let me just ask you, do you think that the way that Jesus is going is going to be popular and accepted? Look at what happened in the book of Luke. Look at what happened in the life of Jesus. The direction that he took was not popular. It was not accepted. Oh, the crowds came, but in the end, they rejected him because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. The narrow gate the wide gate is asking God to do what I want him to do. He's there to serve me. The narrow gate is me doing what he wants me to do, following him. As we continue on, this intensity that we talked about of the disagreement between the Pharisees and Jesus continues. And so some of the Pharisees come up with an answer in verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Well, we know clearly that it wasn't just Herod, the king, who wanted to kill him. It wasn't just the Romans who wanted to kill him. It was also these Jewish leaders. It wasn't all Jews who wanted to kill Jesus. The crowd wanted to follow him. The disciples were willing to give their lives for him. But these Jewish leaders, these people who had a vested interest in Jesus not changing things, they wanted to kill him. 
Some of the Pharisees came and said, Jesus, why don't you just get out of town? It'd just make things easier on all of us. That's often the first answer. Before the cross, there comes the compromise. And so they said, Jesus, why don't you compromise? Why don't you just leave town and everything will be okay? Jesus' answer was to remind them of why he came. In verses 33 to 34, in any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You see the heart of God in these verses. Jesus was determined to head towards the cross, no compromise. Satan had offered him a compromise at the beginning of his ministry, tempted him to avoid the cross, and here the Pharisees are offering him a compromise towards the end of his ministry, avoid the cross. But Jesus did not come to avoid a cross. He came to die on a cross. And in the heart of God, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed to gather you? You've rejected those who came to save you. I want to gather you. That's the heart of God towards his people. That's the heart of God towards you. If anything, if anyone has ever made you feel that the heart of God towards you is to reject you, Jesus tells us clearly. He shows us clearly what God's heart is. He values you. He loves you. He wants to gather you into the life that he has for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your heart towards us. And when I'm tempted to think that somehow you are rejecting me or somehow you are against me, or somehow you are ignoring me, Remind me of these verses. Remind me of the truth. I may not always see it, but every minute of my life, you love me. Every minute of my life, every second you value me. You have a plan and purpose that you're working out in my life. Help me to see that in fresh and new ways today, I pray. In your name, amen. Tomorrow, we're going to see Jesus teaching, teaching that confronts and confounds the conventional wisdom of that day. <laughs>